This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Thank you, CS. Um, good evening, good afternoon, boys and girls. Um, it's, a, it's a special privilege for Joni and I here to be here with you this evening. Um, CS, he... I can't say you didn't tell me the truth. That's not right. Eh? C.S. asked me to come down to share at the men's camp, but he didn't mention that I'd be sharing tonight and at the next meeting. So I thought I was just going to be speaking to the men, but an incredible privilege to, to meet with all of you and to, to hopefully chat later. Um, can we pray? Father, I thank you for this incredible privilege. I thank you for this church. I thank you for leaders that have a vision beyond the walls of the church. We thank you for the example that they've set to so many. But I pray tonight, Lord God, as we just share about you, that you would break our hearts for the things that break yours, Jesus. We think of the widow and the orphan, the destitute and the poor in this nation, Lord God. We know that you're the answer to this country, but you need hands and feet. And I pray that as we experience your love, that we'll become those hands and feet that share your love with those that do not know you. Father, we just say how much we love you this evening. We ask and pray this in the name that is above every other name, the name of your Son and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I must apologise, Pastor, for my dress again. I thought I was speaking out there. I must also apologise to those that were at the camp, those guys that were there, um, because I will be sharing quite a lot of what I shared there tonight. But I do want to say to see us and to the church leaders that we love and appreciate you guys. We have people from all over the world coming to the village, churches from all over the world. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart, that there's no church from anywhere in the world that has impacted the village more than Shofar have. They come prepared. They come to serve. They come to love the children. And they leave a deposit. You know, I was just thinking this morning of the incredible blessing they've been to us on the village. And, you know, it reminded me this morning of when Jesus' parents took him to the temple. I think he was 12, and he was left there. And they walked for a couple of days, and then they remembered that Jesus wasn't with them. And every time Shofar come to the village, they seem to leave people behind. And we have a number of people from Shofar churches now serving on the village full-time because their leaders forgot them on the village. And so we're thankful and grateful for that, that you guys have been an incredible blessing to us. But friends, I just wanted to, to, to start off with um, the state of our country is not great. I think we all know that. There are many statistics about violent crimes, rape and abuse against women and children 
unemployment in this nation, teenage pregnancies. Did you know that last year 146,000 schoolgirls gave birth to children? 3,400 children were born to mothers between the ages of 10 and 14. 900 babies are being thrown away every single month in this nation. They're finding 600 bodies and 300 babies alive. And we continue to sit within the walls of our churches. Friends, it's time, as I say to people, I've never been more excited and never been more excited ever than I am tonight to see so many young people coming because they're passionate in love with Jesus. So this mess that we're living in, not just here but worldwide, there is an answer and his name is Jesus Christ. We don't have a racial problem. We don't have an unemployment problem. We don't have a, 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 any of those problems that I, I, I mentioned. We have a father problem in this nation. Do you know 70% of South African children go to bed without a father figure in the home? We need as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to get out of the walls and go and share the love of Jesus with those who do not know him. Because when you come to know Jesus, you come to know the Father. And those scriptures are so clear Um. John 14, 6 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know if they're going to put that. But John 14, 6 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Is that right? No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we need to lead people to, to Jesus because he will lead them to the Father. And, and the Father and Jesus are one. Philip said, show me, the, show me the Father and that'll be enough for us. And I believe that if we can lead children to the, the Father, that we're going to solve a lot of problems in this nation. And as I prepared for, 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 this, for this weekend, I had the revelation for the very first time, and I've spoken about this at a number of meetings and for the first time, I realized how important the Father is. Not only the Heavenly Father, but also our earthly fathers. And as I looked at my life, I was born into a middle-class family in Johannesburg, and I experienced the love of a father and a mother who gave us everything. They didn't have much materially, but they gave us everything that they could. I had an elder brother and a younger sister, and I loved my dad. My dad and I were really close. 
he had a problem with alcohol, my dad, but that I didn't mind. He just loved me and loved me. And my dad died of a disease called motor neuron disease when I was 26 years of age. There was no Jesus in our home, but I'm really pleased to say that my dad got that disease, and as he neared the end, he got frightened. And a friend of mine, who wasn't one of the main mana at school, we called the sportsmen and those guys that were the main mana, and he was what we would probably call a bit of a nerd, a guy named Tommy Lee. He phoned me at university and said, Ted, your dad's really ill. Do you mind if I go and see him? I want to pray with him. And he went to see my dad and led my dad to Jesus 18 months before he died. And that nerd became my hero when I came to know Jesus. But having experienced this, this beautiful home and family that we lived in, I look back and realized at that age at 26, when things were going well, as he said, I was at university, Peter Marisberg, at 19 years of age, I played for the Sharks at rugby, and then 21 years of age, I played for cricket at South Africa, so I was quite a main man on the campus. And then at 26 years of age, my dad died. And my life fell apart. Till the age of 35, when I ended up in a home for alcoholics and drug addicts. I had accumulated millions of rands through, of debt through my gambling addictions. And I ended up in this home where I lost my family and my children. But it was at that time that I came to know Jesus. In the depths and darkness of that part of my life, I came to know Jesus. And I was hoping that this Jesus would wave a magic wand my debts would be repaid, my marriage would be restored, and things would be back to normal. But I realized that wasn't what this Jesus was all about. Jesus forgave me, but I realized you've got to live out the consequences of the choices we make in life. And in fact, I ran away. And to tell you the honest truth, if I had the courage, I would have jumped off a building. I saw no, no way out of this, and I ran away from Durban back to Johannesburg, where things got a hundred times worse. Those demons came and tenfold, the Bible says. I went to Joburg. I, didn't, I could have stayed with my mother. I lived with the jockeys in the south of Johannesburg. I drank more. I gambled more, and my life was even a bigger mess. I, probably, I, say I was probably the best undercover agent that Jesus ever had. <laughs> because only Peter Pollock who led me to the Lord and myself and Jesus knew that I'd given my life to Jesus. And people used to find Peter Pollock and say, you, see, you said that this guy's given his life to Jesus. Just come to Joburg and see how he's behaving. And I said to Peter, why did you just leave me? He said he prayed for me every day. And God said to him, 
leave him alone and watch what I'm going to do with his life. And during those times with all this debt that was hanging over my head, I got involved in illicit diamond dealing. And just before I got involved in it physically, God showed me a vision of my children looking at me from behind bars and I walked away out of this hotel where I was supposed to meet these guys from Lesotho. I got involved in race fixing with jockeys. And I walked off the race course one day after a horse got beaten and somebody said to me, go back to Durban to be closer to your children. Get a job and let people see your life has changed. And I looked around to see it was and there was nobody. And as I look back, I realized that even when I didn't recognize it, Jesus was starting to guide me. Took me out of the claws of getting into huge trouble. Took me off the race course, set me free from those gambling addictions. And I came back to Durban. I couldn't get a job. They, the sporting fraternity small, Durban small. They said he's an alcoholic and a gambler. He's useless. And nobody would give me a job. Until... Sunlam gave me a job. Can you imagine being a life assurance salesman? <laughs> I couldn't think of anything worse. It was the last of a hundred jobs if you'd given me a choice. But little did I know that it was the door that God opened for me. Little did I know that it's the only job probably in the country where you can write your own check. And because of my sporting contacts, and the people I knew around the country, within three years, I'd become one of the top salesmen at Sunlam. And within eight years, I'd paid back my debt. And God started to guide me even when I didn't know. And then I met Joni. She was married to a professional golfer who was murdered on one of our beaches in Durban. We met and we felt God bring us together for his purposes and we've been married over 30 years now and I remember going up to Johannesburg one day to play against the school I went to school a school called King Edwards in Johannesburg quite a good cricket school and we used to play against the school 20 years after we left and I suppose none of you young guys will know what it feels like but we had a bit of a party that night with my friends that I hadn't seen for a long while, and I had a terrible bubbleus. I'm not sure if you guys know about a bubbleus, but I had this bubbleus the next morning. I had to drive back to Durban early, and I was feeling desperately sick. And you get that cold sweat. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and I cried out to Jesus that day. And I said to him, surely, but surely this cannot be your plan for my life. I cannot stop drinking. Please take the taste of alcohol away from me. That second, he set me free. And I haven't touched a drink for 30 years. I've never desired a drink for 30 years. Because that's the God that I know. And I look back on my life. And I'm so pleased that I came to know Jesus before I opened the Bible or went to church. I came to know this Jesus. And as I came to know him in such a real way, 
I started to seek my father. And as I told you, that my life was so great, and then when my dad died, my life fell apart, and now I came to know my heavenly father. And as I sought him out and loved to spend time with me, so many of the young guys have asked me, Titch, how do you know when God speaks to you? If my wife phones me, and if her number didn't come up on the phone, and she said, hi, Titchell, hello my baby, I would recognize her voice like that. And all I can say to you, the only way you'll recognize when God speaks to you is if you spend time with him. And the more time you spend with God, the more you hear that little whisper. And he's an incredible father that loves you more than you can ever imagine. And I wished, I don't regret anything, but if I had come to know him when I was your age, my life would have been different. He has a plan for each one of us. And as I prayed and spent time with him, I remember going to a, a mission trip in, in Nelspreit. And I was saying to the boys yesterday, and C.S. probably knows because he's probably one of those pastors. So I went with Peter Pollock and the, the Lani's, they fly back. And some of the troops have to drive back. And I had to drive back from Nelspreit on my own. And it was the day that changed my life. I prayed in tongues for two and a half hours. I screamed at the Lord. And I said to him, surely there's got to be more to life than this. I paid back that debt. And I've got to be very honest with you. Being a Christian, going from church on Sunday to a cell group on Tuesday to church on Sunday and back to that same cell group on Tuesday was probably the most boring lifestyle I'd ever lived in my life. I say to people, even the people at the cell group I didn't like. <laughs> they, I had nothing in common with any of them, but they told me I must go to the cell group. The Bible says I mustn't, I don't have to like everybody. It tells me I've got to love them, but I don't have to like them. But that day, when I said to Jesus, surely there's more to life than this, I started to listen, and he started to speak to me. And he said, build a village for orphan and vulnerable children that they will come to know they have a father in heaven. Create jobs for rural communities so that they can sustain their families. And the government will come and see why it works and we can point them to the cross. It was a crazy, ridiculous vision. But it was so clear for six hours as I drove, he showed me a picture of this village. And when I got home, I said to Joni, we've got to build a village for orphan children. And I drew this picture of this village. And it's exactly as the village is today. With the homes and a big cross and then the uh, school and then the sports field and then crops 
and vegetable gardens. And it's exactly as it is today. And so a new journey started. And as I was praying about that, I think, changing from being a church-going Christian to becoming a Christ follower, your life changes from, and, and I mean it in, in the nicest possible way, but of a boring, boring life to becoming the most exciting life in the world. To follow Jesus. And the Bible says if you follow Jesus, and the Bible is your foundations of your life, there are 108 promises that he makes to us. And I'm busy with writing those up, summarizing those 108 promises that he promises us. But our lives change drastically. And when I was thinking about it, we've just opened an upmarket second store and a coffee shop. The donors were drying up during the COVID as companies started to struggle. And we were praying. I've always wanted to open a coffee shop. And I investigated it, and they said, you've got to have five or six. You can't have one. So I thought, oh, 70 years of age, I'm not sure if I want five or six coffee shops. Joni always wanted to have a charity shop. We saw upmarket charity shops, so we decided to put the two together and open in the middle of COVID. Everybody thought we were crazy. But it's been... Because the children didn't lose their appetites during COVID. So we still got to feed them. And with donors dried up, so we opened the shop and it's been an incredible thing. I think maybe Stellenbosch is a spot that we can open one. But when I, I sit in this coffee shop on the veranda outside, we put play pens where mothers bring their children. And they put them into the play pens and then they chat and drink coffee and that for two hours and occasionally they have a glance to see if the child's okay because they know the child can't get out of the playpen. But let that child get out of the playpen and watch the mother. She'll be after this little child just in case. And Jesus showed me that's what it is with the church. While we sit in the church every Sunday, he's just glancing because he loves you, you're going to heaven, but he doesn't really have to worry about you. You're safe and sound in the church. But venture out into the wild, into the world, and he starts to walk with you. And it's the most beautiful thing when you walk with Jesus and doors start to fling open, opportunities start to happen. It's the most beautiful, beautiful thing. And that day when he said to me, build a village, we then try to do it in our own strength. And he doesn't mind mistakes either. We have a beautiful father. Just think of what your father, who's, who doesn't have a father, whose fathers have passed away, or people that have never known their fathers, or have never had good relationships with their fathers? Are there any? Wow. I had a beautiful father, but how much more will your heavenly father? And as we started to walk this road, I thought, well, we've got to 
create jobs and build a village. I'll start a building company. I love doing things. I know nothing about it. I know nothing. I wasn't even a good father to my own children. And now he says, look after the children. I remember my dad said to me, because I wasn't the easiest child. He said to me one day, he said, Did you, one day, one day, your punishment is you're going to have children. <laughs> but I didn't know I was so bad that he gave me 350 children. <laughs> so it's been, it's been the most precious thing of our lives. But we thought I'd start a building company. It was an absolute disaster because I can't knock a nail in straight. So we, we built a house and we were going to sell it and we were involved for two million rand and we couldn't sell the house. I thought, Jesus, what is, what's happened now? And then to cut a long story short, we put it on auction and we got 2.25 million rand. So we made 200,000. I put the money in my pocket and closed the building business down. But when I look back, all 17 of the employees that worked for us came to know Jesus. And so through our eyes, it was not a successful business. But through his eyes, it was a successful business. And then we had a guest house, and Joni, the ladies were telling Joni, these children are starving in a place called Amaoti. Amaoti is the bottom end of Inanda. It is the most dangerous place in South Africa as far as rapes and murders are concerned. But when you don't know, Jesus takes you to places. He says, will you go where you don't know where you're going, but that you know that I know where you're going. And so we ventured into this community. And Joni started to feed 30 children under a tree once a week. 30 became 100, 150. Once a week became every day. She started a back-to-school program. We had 600 children on the back-to-school program. We started creches with the ladies in the communities. We're feeding 2,500 children. Still today, feeding 2,500 children in the communities. We started soccer leagues. We had 47 teams in the soccer leagues. And then God asked us to plant a church. He said, you're doing church 24-7, but you're not celebrating on Sunday. We must start a church. So I went to all the leaders and said, listen, I feel God is telling us to plant a church. I said, what is the church supposed to do? One of the elders said to me, Titch, don't worry what the church is supposed to do because none of the churches do what God wants them to do anyway. So he said, just go and do what God has called you to do. And so we planted the church, and that church is also still going now. It was the toughest time of our lives, but it was beautiful. I don't know how many of you go into the communities. It is an amazing experience. This nation is crying out for hands and feet of Jesus that I'll go and share the love of Jesus with us. And I see this kind of Monday as I go out on this road. And I've spoken to some of those young guys that come to the village. This church is going to transform that community through the love of Jesus. I can see it a mile away. I get so excited. That is going to be... And, and I, I, something's happening in Shofar. I just see the hearts of the leaders... And it's an incredible privilege for you guys to be able to sit under leadership like this. And something's going to happen radical in Stellenbosch when I look around this hall today. I just want you to trust Jesus and have the faith as we stepped on that journey. And then 12 years after we had got the vision, and we were working in the communities, God said to us, the time for the villages now. And so we started to look for a farm. And that was incredible. 
amazing things have happened. And we bought the farm. It's only 10 kilometers from the international airport. We had no money. And all I remember was a broken down farmhouse with some chicken sheds and grass this high and mambas a little bit higher than the grass. You've never seen such big snakes in your life. And I said to the Lord, but now what do we do? We've got this land and no money. He said to me in the beginning, I'll provide the money and the expertise. And he's a faithful father. And his word is truth. And so I felt him say to me, have a banquet at our international convention center. Invite 4,000 people, business, government, and the church, and you'll raise the money in a night. I didn't even know what the village was going to cost, but we had this incredible banquet. No event coordinator would take it on. They said, nobody will come to see, hear about orphan children midweek. You're wasting your time. But when Jesus is in it, Joni took it on. We got over 4,000 people that came to that banquet that night. A month before the banquet, I couldn't get hold of government. And the lady gave me Dr. William Keyes' number. He was premier in KwaZulu-Natal at the time. I phoned Zwelly on a Friday night. And this him telling my wife the story. He says, this white man phoned me on a Friday night. He said his name was Titch. He said, you know, in the Zulu culture, names have a meaning. I'm trying to understand. This is the funniest name I've ever heard in my life. I said, what can this possibly mean? And he said, this white man rambled on about widows and orphans with such passion. I thought, let me get rid of this man. He said, come and see me Monday. So from Friday to Monday, I had a meeting with the premier. I put this concept drawing out. And that's why I say, if we could just be obedient to God when he tells us to do things. He told us to buy the farm with our own money. I laid this thing down. I said, Doc, we bought this farm and we want to put this village for. He said, you bought this farm with your money? He said, if you use your money, this is going to happen with or without me. So best I'm part of this. He came to the banquet a month later. He spoke at the banquet. Rory Dyer from 3CI in Pretoria, he spoke about the Father Heart of God. We flew the Watoto Children's Down Choir from Uganda and we shared the vision and we started to raise the money for the village. Only then did we start to get people in, project managers, architects. And I said, well, how much is this going to cost? I thought it cost 10 million. They said 70 million. I said, it's a children's village. They said, yes, but you want to build a school, you want to do this, you want to do that. And then they told me how to put sewers in. I thought on big farms, you just dig a soap pit and you put all the sewage in the soap pit. They said, no, you've got to have sewerage and things like that. So I phoned Zwelly again. I said, Doc, I need some money from you. This was before they stole all the money. <laughs> he, said, he said to me, Titch, I can't give you any money. But what I'll do is I'll open the door for you to come to Cabinet and share the, the, the vision with the MECs in Cabinet. And they've got budgets, and if they agree that this is a solution to the problems, we'll give you some money. They can give you money. So I went there as a 60-year-old white man, tell the new government what we must do with the orphan children. Dr. Dlomo, 
he was our Minister of Health, he stood up and he said this. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I've just got back from Rwanda and I saw with my own eyes babies feeding off the breasts of dead mothers. He said, we're fast going down that road in this country if we don't do something about it. He said, what we've seen and heard in cabinet this morning, how can we as the government stand in the way of God's vision for the children of this nation? The next week I got a memo from cabinet to say all government departments supported live. They gave me 97 million rand. He said he'd bring the money, we'd raise it in a night. He's a faithful father. He loves us more than we can ever, ever imagine. His plan is the local church. You know, the only problem with his plan is that you and me are the local church. And he's waiting for us to hear his heartbeat for those precious children in Kaimandi tonight. Going to bed with no blankets. Those haven't had meals. He's waiting for you and me to hear his heartbeat for the lost. I want to encourage you guys to get out of the playpen and start to walk into the world. And I can assure you that your father is going to walk every step of the way with you. I've realized that God's plans are better than my plans. And he's got more money than I've got. So best I do his plans and let him pay for them. He's got unlimited resources. He doesn't have to worry about stock markets or interest rates or what the economies are doing. He will provide for whatever he calls you to. And it's not an easy journey. I've got to be honest with you. There's some tough, tough times. And we've realized that where you'll experience the presence of God more than any other time is in the eyes, in the eye of the storm. In 2017, the community decided they, came, they wanted to kill me. It was a political issue with some jobs on Hazelmere Dam, the walls, they built the walls up, and so the ANC committee took bribes from these guys and they got jobs on the walls. And the jobs came to an end and they went back to the ANC committee to threaten them. And they said, well, it's not our fault. Bubba Smith said he'd employ the whole community. There are 20,000 in our community. And so they decided to round the community up and descend on the village to come and kill me. They started to burn tires at four o'clock in the morning and they started to walk on the village chanting with, with, with um, sugarcane knives and that to come and kill me. I wasn't on the village, but Chester phoned me and his voice was getting quicker and quicker and louder and louder and said, they're coming, they're coming, you've got to come. And I phoned William Keyes and I said to Doc, should I be going to the village? He said, don't go anywhere close because they will kill you and then they'll apologize afterwards. But eventually I got police guards and, and, and he drove me into the village and we resolved it. And he said he'll work all things together 
for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. And the TV came and, and, and the newspapers came and they said, what are you going to do? How are you going to get them into jail? And we said, no, this is our community. We love them. We're not going to press any charges. They burnt the clinic. They burnt the factory. They broke the place down. And we got more attack from the people around the country. They said, now we know we, we, we're not going to give our money. If This is the way you're going to behave when people come and attack you. But the most incredible thing has happened is restoration and reconciliation with our community. It's been a beautiful thing to see what God does. Friends, where do you really stand with Jesus? People have asked me about what about the balance? What about the balance in Jesus and my studies? And what about the balance in my family? What is the balance? There is no balance. Jesus Christ gave his all. And all he wants is all of us. But I do want to tell you that if you give him his all, you're going to become a, bigger, a better student. You're going to become a better husband or wife. You're going to become a better father to your children if you give him your all. I truly believe, and I don't prophesy, but I believe that something's going to start in this church with young people like you that is going to change the face of this nation to the glory of Jesus Christ. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I pray that you spend time with your father and I can assure you you'll start to hear that little voice of somebody who loves you more than you can ever imagine. Somebody who'll walk every step of the way with you. Somebody that will never leave you or forsake you. Somebody that will provide for you and protect you. Where do you really stand with Jesus? I believe God is calling us this evening. All he wants for people to say, here I am, Lord Jesus, use me. As the word said, it's not if we receive. I mean, it's if we receive, not if we achieve. We don't have to do anything. We just have to give him our all. I believe he's asking you tonight. Those that want to say, here I am, Lord Jesus, use me. I want you to stand tonight so we can pray with you. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sing.